The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. On this vote, the yeas are 96, the nays are zero. The 60 vote threshold having been achieved, the bill is passed. The stimulus bill wins enough support to pass the Senate as President Trump says large parts of the U.S. workforce could be returning to work soon. I don't think it's going to end up being such a rough patch. I think it's going to, when we open, especially if we can open it, the sooner the better. It's going to open up uh, like a rocket ship. Uh, The Dow posts two days of back-to-back gains for the first time since February. But U.S. futures falter amid fears American jobless claims will jump to a record 4 million last week. The Nikkei sinks on reports of a total lockdown in Tokyo this weekend, while Singapore's GDP growth plunges over 10 percent as the city-state braces for the worst recession since the Asian financial crisis. Nine European governments call for the formation of corona bonds to offset the economic downturn. But Germany and the Netherlands appear set to block the move during the EU leaders' video summit today. Last, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson coming under far more pressure to increase the UK testing for coronavirus. This, as both the Treasury and the Bank of England, are due to outline more measures to support the UK economy today. So, very good morning this Thursday. Uh, We are at the wall once again to bring you an update on how this stimulus package is doing. U.S. senators have voted unanimously to approve a $2 trillion relief package to help cushion the economic blow from the virus outbreak. It is the biggest fiscal stimulus bill in the country's history. The wide-ranging legislation includes direct payments to Americans, along with a $500 billion lending program to companies impacted by the virus and $350 billion in guaranteed loans to small businesses. It also expands jobless benefits and sets aside funds for hospitals battling the pandemic. Well, President Trump praised the measures, saying it'll shield Americans from financial harm. He also pointed out the resilience of the U.S. economy once the crisis is over. I don't think it's going to end up being such a rough patch. I think it's going to, when we open, especially if we can open it, the sooner the better. It's going to open up uh, like a rocket ship. I think it's going to go very good and very quickly. And you're going to have some tough new limits on executive compensation also. They need the money. Uh, They're going to have to sort of just make things work because we're interested in the workers, the jobs. Well, the bill now heads to the House of Representatives. Lawmakers are expected to approve the legislation on Friday. It'll then be sent to President Trump for signing. Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has also said Congress may need to consider further additional measures, including more relief funding as the virus pandemic spreads. 
Well, it's no doubt that was the key focal point for markets yesterday, but now it's another day and the focal point for investors, certainly in the U.S., will be the jobless claims. And uh, investors are bracing for a pretty high number. And as you can see there, according to U.S. futures, we're looking at a pullback this morning. Dow Jones indicating a triple digit drop at the open. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq also poised to see a retreat. Uh, Goldman Sachs are calling for over 2 million jobless claims to have been made. That would be a record level. So before this stimulus package, this rescue relief comes into effect, we are, of course, due to see the negative impact of coronavirus on the U.S. economy. But let's take a look at what we did see in the trading session yesterday. The Dow Jones logging 2.4 percent worth of gains. That's about 496 points. The S&P 500 rallying about 1.1 percent there. That was led by industrials. The Nasdaq, the tech heavy index on the back foot, though, that index lost about 40 basis points. Let's take a look at the airline sector, which saw some pretty substantial moves within that stimulus package that Jeff just outlined. We did see uh, about $75 billion set aside to support affected industries, especially the airlines. And when you pair that with leverage from the Federal Reserve, we could be looking at trillions of dollars in support for these affected industries. So you can see some massive gains here uh, for the airline sector. Uh, Boeing in particular, rallying about 24% uh, uh, that was leading the Dow higher. Let's take a look at healthcare stocks. Of course, a very big focal point as well. Uh, the healthcare stocks very, very uh, pertinent to what happens when it comes to uh, the the treatment, the cures, the vaccines for coronavirus. Massive rally across the board for the healthcare sector uh, to the tune of about 20% uh, for the best performing stocks. Now let's take a look at Asian markets because right alongside that pullback in U.S. futures, we are seeing a little bit of a pullback in Asian stocks as well. The Shanghai Composite trading about 20 basis points below the flat line. The Hang Seng also down about 0.8%. And the Nikkei 225 down 4.5%. This, of course, comes on the back of 8% gains yesterday. The Japanese market as performing very, very strongly. So we're seeing a bit of a pullback there. Jeff? Juliana, thank you. The pandemic has likely pushed U.S. jobless claims to a record high, with as many as 4 million people estimated to have filed last week. Projections from the big investment banks differ somewhat. I tell you what, you could drive a truck through the difference between these various estimates. If you've got a 50% range on the forecasts, then it quite frankly tells you there are a lot of economists who are just putting a wet finger in the air and trying to make a guess here. The unemployment rate is expected to rise as high as 10% from February's half-century low of 3.5%. Again, that's another big guess. The figures will be released before U.S. markets open today. Well, former Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke says the U.S. economy is in a very different position than it was during the 08 financial crisis. Speaking to CNBC, he struck a positive tone about the longer-term prospects. Whether or not we're going to snap back depends on a couple of things. It depends, first of all, on the course of the virus. Will our uh, social distancing strategy work? Will the virus begin to die down? Will it uh, perhaps uh, be less dangerous in warmer weather? Uh, will we bend the curve enough that the hospital system can handle the number of cases? So, so the length of time that we're shut down is going to be important. And then the second factor will be, can we keep the economy uh, healthy or at least functioning throughout this shutdown period. And one of the things you mentioned, the Fed, what the Fed is trying to do is make sure credit is available so lots of businesses which are losing 
revenue because you know they're shut down will still be able to survive and when the when the all clear is sounded they'll be able to start back up again st louis fed president james bullard like bernanke sees this crisis as short term if managed well partial shutdown of the u.s economy mostly during the second quarter if you look at these numbers uh the u.s gdp for a quarter is very round numbers is about five trillion dollars so if you cut that in half you're only talking about producing two and a half trillion and that means uh, uh two and a half trillion less of household income that we would otherwise have so i think the two trillion dollar package uh looks like it'll pass the congress now is about right. It's scaled about right for this situation. And this is relief, not stimulus. Uh, we're not trying to move production into the second quarter. The whole idea is to hunker down, lie low, let the virus go away. James Bullard there, St. Louis Fed President. Uh, Steve joins us from uh, London Bridge Station. Otherwise, it would be bustling, one imagines, at this hour. It is cavernous and empty. We'll get to Steve, who's going to tell us a story about the UK very shortly. Uh, but for the time being, let's bring in Peter Shafrick, global macro strategist for RBC Capital Markets. Uh, and Peter, I just want you to address for us for a moment these two competing narratives, if you will. President Trump is talking about a shutdown in weeks. Uh, we've heard from Mr. Bernanke there and uh, James Bullard, and both of them are talking about a very quick pickup uh, and a normalization of the U.S. economy. And yet today we could learn that four million people are now claiming unemployment benefits. That doesn't sound like a two week story. What's your opinion of how quickly the U.S. economy can recover from this? Well, look, first of all, uh, I think the, the, the first question you pose in my mind is absolutely the, the crucial question, because everyone is not only in the US, everyone um, over here in Europe as well is talking about a relatively deep but short lived um, crisis. And if we do that, we can patch it over. And as we just heard from Bullard, the package is worth around about two, two and a half months. Uh, worth of uh, U.S. GDP. So if you if you can sort of sustain the economy um, over that period of time and then you snap back, then I guess all of these people who are currently being unemployed are also going to be brought back into employment relatively quickly. However, having said that, you know, the, the length and the duration of this crisis, that's the absolutely cre uh, key component here. Uh, Peter, good morning to you from London Bridge Station. Is there a difference between the economic bounce back and the financial markets bounce back? Of course, huge criticism uh, about the last huge financial crisis, about how the markets were given all the fuel to go higher, to record after record, but actually large parts of the economy were left behind. Is there a difference in the stimulus this time round, which will mean the market performance is going to be different from the economic performance? Well, first of all, yes, certainly there is a difference. I mean, when you just look at where the crisis, where the epicenter of the crisis is, it's in the corporate sector now, um, and obviously in the um, in the hospital sector, but in the corporate sector economically, whereas previously it was in the financial sector. The financial sector is actually reasonably fine, and um, you know, one could say with a little bit tongue in cheek. Uh, we could thank for uh, the crisis, the financial crisis there was, because now we have a lot of the tools and we have a much more stable banking system. But the, so therefore, um, clearly it is different for financial markets. I think we'll again, we'll have to see. I mean, I think what the what the what the politicians and the central banks have done now is they have prevented the systemic collapse um, and particularly they have prevented large scale defaults on a relatively quick scale. 
So therefore, um, the particular the higher rated names in the credit sector, I think now should be starting to perform a little bit better. However, that does not mean that we're creating uh, a lot of earnings um, relatively quickly. Again, that depends crucially on how long this hunkering down period will be. Peter, do you think that the market fully appreciates the Federal Reserve's recent moves? Because I was looking at some estimates when you pair the new uh, relief package from the Senate with what the Federal Reserve has announced. We could be looking at trillions of dollars worth of support for affected industries, not just the $75 billion that was announced yesterday. Well, look, yes. Um, uh, but I do think that the market has realized quite clearly what both actors are doing. I mean, first of all, when you look at it, what the Federal Reserve is doing is first uh, is keeping the banking system hyper liquid. And that's not only the U.S. financial system, it's also the international system. We've seen that with the swap lines and all the rest of it. Secondly, however, what uh, the Federal Reserve is also doing is trying to bypass the banking system and go directly to the affected corporates. And we see that in the CP program. We now see it in the primary and the secondary credit facility that they rolled out and in the yet to be um, finalized program for Main Street where they're trying to reach SMEs. So they're trying to do their best to keep these um, companies liquid. And the same goes for the government. They're trying to uh, aid to something uh, for the individuals um, uh, that are that are um, uh, impacted by this, but also for the corporations um, and trying to give them loans and trying to give them guarantees and all the rest of it. But again, None of these measures, none of these measures can um, can address the underlying fundamental problem. If the situation is much longer than we think, and if it might potentially um, impair some of the business models that are around in certain industries, all the support in the world is not going to change that. Um, and yet there are companies that are still managing to raise money at this point, Peter. And that's uh, the tell, I think, on just how this liquidity freeze has eased up as a result of all the stimulus that uh, Juliana was mentioning here. My question would be actually, at what point do the authorities have to suggest to some of these corporates that they don't continue issuing paper and that we don't actually see continue dividend payments and buybacks at this stage? As I look at the numbers, $63 billion worth of investment-grade corporate issuance came to market this week. That doesn't suggest that there is a problem with liquidity right now. Well, but look, uh, uh, this is exactly what is required. Uh, when you think about it, most of these corporates, as we heard in your earlier sound clips, um, most of these corporates have a significant problem with their revenue. So the revenues are falling away. So they need to bridge that somehow. So they need to raise capital. And one of the good things is that through the transaction, and I think particularly the primary credit facility is, is very advantageous here and will give us the, uh, the ability to do that. Um, I mean, if, if we turn that question around, how would the market look if there was no access um, to credit for these corporations? That would be even more devastating than what we already have. Peter, we've got to wrap it up with you, unfortunately, but thank you so much for taking the questions this morning. Peter Shaffrey, Global Macro Strategist, RBC Capital Markets. Uh, Let's move on. Well, we're going to get more details on that $2 trillion stimulus plan approved by the Senate later today when our American colleagues speak directly to U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. That interview is coming up at 1400 CET. We're also going to be speaking to one of the first investors who warned of the economic impact from the coronavirus. That's Paul Tudor Jones, founder and CIO of Tudor Investment Corp. We'll be speaking to CNBC at 1300 CET today. 
Uh, we're going to take a very short break here on Scorebox, but after the break, we'll talk about the latest from the United Kingdom, from Boris Johnson, the controversies about whether key workers should be in or not in London as well. But we'll leave you with a shot of London Bridge Station, which even at this early time is normally, well, I can tell you, considerably busier than this as the London commuting rush hour begins. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. The World Health Organization's Director General has warned countries squandered the first window of opportunity to fight the virus. The head of the WHO said governments should have acted at least over a month ago. The warning comes as the number of global cases climbed over 450,000 with over 21,000 fatalities linked to the outbreak. Coronavirus has now claimed the lives of more than 1,300 people in France. Health authorities reported 231 new deaths yesterday, slightly less than the previous two days. Spain now has the world's second highest death toll from the virus after it surpassed the official figure from China. Fatalities rose by 738 in 24 hours, the country's biggest jump in one day. Let's get out to Charlotte, who has an update on the situation in both countries. Morning, Charlotte. Good morning, Jeff. Well, yes, Spain in just a few weeks, in less than three weeks, went from a few reported cases to having this sad record of uh, one of the highest number of cases, now more than China and just under Italy with 3,500 fatalities on the back of the epidemic. Uh, a jump, as you mentioned, one of the biggest jumps, 738. So the epidemic showing no sign of slowing down in Spain uh, at the moment. Uh, so last night, the Spanish parliament voted an extension of the state of emergency until April 12. Uh, so there was a, a big consensus there in Parliament to vote that state of emergency. However, the government came under big, big criticism from all opposition parties say, asking for more action and uh, hoping to see more results. Now that Spain has been in lockdown uh, for almost two weeks now and the numbers don't seem to slow down. Uh, you remember that uh, about a third of the cases are in Madrid concentrating there uh, very much the core of the epidemic. Last night, the Deputy Prime Minister uh, Carmen Calvo uh, tested positive and she's the fourth cabinet minister in Spain um, being positive, t being tested positive uh, for coronavirus. Uh, yesterday, the wife of the prime minister herself has been tested positive and the president of the Spanish region has been tested positive as well. So uh, difficulties there. The Bank of Spain last night, um, uh, yesterday, talked about a severe economic disruption to the Spanish economy and they, called, they didn't post a new projection for GDP this year waiting to see how the epidemic is going, but they mentioned their severe economic disruption. Uh, 
um, and they also called for corona for corona bonds, uh, asking for EU solidarity there uh, to try and tackle this crisis in this moment. See not a too wide destruction of the economic fabric of the country and hope also for reconstruction. They've called for a reconstruction budget for after the epidemic. But Spain very much still at the core of the epidemic, numbers still racing up. Um, and about 14% of those that have been tested positive are health workers. And that's also a difficulty there that uh, the Spanish government has to deal with. Spanish workers complaining of not having enough protective gear, masks, masks, etc. And so difficulties there with Spain uh, posting these very um, dramatic numbers yesterday. Charlotte, thank you so much for bringing us the latest there on Spain and as well as France. We had that update for you. Now, I want to bring you some news out of Novartis. This is um, uh, news, news saying that companies are working to identify concrete actions that will accelerate treatments, vaccines and diagnostics to field. Fifteen companies in the healthcare space have agreed to share their libraries of compounds that already have some degree of safety and activity data. So this is a coming together, a collaboration of life sciences companies who have expertise in the field of healthcare to try to help the fight against the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, successful hits would move rapidly into uh, trials in as little as two months. So this is a, a big step in terms of bringing together all of those experts in the field. And this announcement is coming out of Novartis, uh, the Swiss healthcare giant. Now, on the topic of healthcare, Prime Minister Boris Johnson said he hopes that UK coronavirus testing capacity will increase from 5,000 per day up to 250,000. Johnson was asked repeatedly, both in the House of Commons and in his daily press conference, about the pace of government, uh, the pace the government has taken in acquiring testing machines. The UK death toll reached 463, with over 9,500 cases as of Wednesday. The British Prime Minister was quick to heap praise on the overwhelming response to the NHS's call for volunteers. When we launched the appeal last night, we hoped to get 250,000 volunteers over a few days. But I can tell you that in just 24 hours, 405,000 people have responded to the call. They will be driving medicines from pharmacies to patients, They'll be bringing patients home from hospital. Very importantly, they'll be making regular phone calls to check on and support people who are staying on their own at home. Steve joins us once again from London Bridge Station. Steve, testing volunteers, those are just two of the topics that were touched in yesterday's briefing from the Prime Minister. What were your key takeaways from Boris Johnson's address? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's very key that they, they do feel that they have the right uh, capabilities with the National Health Service. Now we can come to what Matt Hancock's been saying, of course, not only about the Excel facility, uh, but also about what could be put in place at Birmingham's NEC and the big convention centre up in Manchester as well, if indeed more IC beds are needed. That's intensive care as well. I do want, though, uh, to tell a part of today's story by using pictures. I think, again, came from the early 1920s, the phrase uh, pictures uh, speak a thousand words. We'll look at London Bridge, one of the great termini of London. You've got King's Cross, St Pancras, you've got Euston, you've got Paddington, you've got Marylebone, you've got Waterloo, and you've got this amazing London Bridge station. This is the start of the rush hour normally 
here in London. And of course, one of the key messages uh, about the coronavirus epidemic is social distancing will work. If we stop people working together, then it will work. Well, look, you have a, a couple of commuters, a few people around the station, but by and large, it's an empty concourse. You've got shops that are normally bustling at this stage with the commuters getting their coffees, their sandwiches, their breakfast empty as well. Uh, and then let me just show you really as I go through uh, the turnstiles what the main concourse here at uh, London Bridge Station looks like this morning. I mean, there's um, the, the mighty people, I have to say, the, the workers of Transport for London are doing an amazing job because they can't cut all their staff here as well. You have to have a certain number of staff on site for sa safety, health and safety reasons, emergencies as well. But look, look at these um, escalators here, normally packed with commuters coming down. The escalators are off. They're off for a reason because they think that if they have them off, they don't have to have so many engineers to keep them running or on site as well. So that's another reason why uh, we're just not seeing so many people here. Again, look, there's one of the, the, uh, the, the, the news agents, um, food outlets here at the moment. Nobody around, nobody around this morning as well. So the message about social distancing and about staying away from London, if you possibly can, is getting through. That hasn't stopped an unsightly political row, though, between Sadiq Khan, who is the mayor of London. He's a Labour member, of course, a former member of parliament as well, Sadiq Khan. And Matt Hancock and Boris Johnson, the Conservative government, arguing about the packed tube pictures. You know, up to two million people a day go on the London Metro network, the tube network as well, where there's been some unsightly sites, haven't they, with uh, packed commuters. Now, the government has said, you should be putting out a full service as well to have a less packed train. Sadiq Khan saying, you should stop construction workers uh, from coming into London. So again, it has got quite political, despite the fact that by and large, the politicians have been um, pretty conclusive uh, about the actions taken so far. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.